Alright, welcome to the Red Triangle Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kozlowski. Um, we are talking draft recap tonight. So we had our Blue Mountain Champions Fantasy Baseball League draft on Sunday afternoon. Um, got some guys that were a part of that here with me tonight. So I have with me uh, Shane Stein. Good to be here, Matt. And Kyle Stramara. Happy to be here. Yeah, so uh, how'd you guys feel about the draft? How, what do you, how do you guys think you did? We'll get into it in a little bit more detail, but uh, just quick synopsis. What do you guys think? I was a little disappointed in my draft, I'll be honest. Uh, you kind of go in there with a strategy of how you think things are going to go out, and you can never really be too sure. But uh, I feel like things really went differently this season as compared to the past drafts, and I kind of threw a little curveball into my plans. Still ended up with some of the guys that I initially wanted, but I feel like I overpaid for some of them. Uh, kind of got pushed around at some, some certain spots, but uh, didn't didn't really get some of the guys I wanted because I felt like the price just wasn't right for me at the time. Kyle, what about you? You had arguably the best set of keepers coming into the draft. Yeah, I, uh, I usually tend not to draft very well. I usually walk out of the draft pretty upset. Um, always thinking about what I could have done better. Uh, I seem to spend money early and have to sit around and wait. That was eventually what happened this year. So i got to work myself out of that bad habit. Yeah, you swung a deal early in the draft. Uh, you gave up some draft cash for some minor picks, which, you know, definitely got some good value there. It was a good move. Um, but, yeah, that does seem to be one your kind of MO. You're always looking for cash towards the end of the draft. And you, you do do a good job of finding it, but um, I definitely noticed that too. Um, one thing, going back to Shane's point, I kind of felt the same way as you. I found myself sitting and passing on a lot of guys in the beginning of the draft because I came in the draft targeting a bunch of players at a bunch of different positions and they kept not coming off the board. They were available throughout the whole draft. Um, and sometimes that's risky because you find yourself getting to a point there where there's a bunch of people with money and the pool has thinned out and then you're maybe paying a little more than you'd like for guys that could be m more of a discount. Yeah, it really happened for, for me twice in the draft. Uh, two guys I was really targeting this year, I thought I was going to be able to get some good value, were, were Jeff Samarja and Nick Castellanos, and I ended up having to pay a lot more than I thought for both. Uh, it got to a point where I was the guy that had the most money left in the draft, and those were two of the better players still remaining in the draft. And for whatever reason, I mean, I don't know if those guys just realized that I really wanted them or they also were targeting them, but I, but I ended up paying probably $10 more on each guy than I really was expecting to. I paid 29 for Samarja and 25 for Castellanos, and all of a sudden I'm spending $54 on two guys I thought I was probably going to spend maybe 40 on at most. Yeah, Samarja, in that case, I mean, you didn't get him real late. He was probably third time through. He was your first player you actually bought. Um, I think there you kind of paid the premium for a Giants pitcher. Um, but with Castellanos, that was just best third baseman available at the time when some guys had some money, I think, and there were a lot of us still in that third base pool. 
Um, so I think that's kind of what happened there. But Samarja, I could see a lot of people were targeting him this year. But at 29 bucks, um, we're going to get into what some of the other top pitchers in the draft cost. And I'm not sure it's that bad of a deal for you. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily a bad deal either. It's just I felt like I was going to be able to get him for maybe like a low twenties value, um, and not a high twenties thirty dollar value. I felt like some some guys might be down on him. Um, obviously, that wasn't the case because I think there was three or four guys that were still in as we got to the mid twenties, twenties range. So, um, yeah, it, it was it was disappointing in that aspect. I don't think I got a terrible deal on him. I, I still think he's going to have a pretty nice season. I just was expecting to pay a little bit less for, for both of those guys. Yeah, there were some guys that had a lot of money and um, that definitely elevated some prices. But one thing that I saw this year compared to years in the past was um, the top players didn't go for nearly as much as they have gone for in years past. I think Miggy has normally been a $70 player the last couple of years or close to it. This year he goes for 57 He's the most expensive player um, auctioned off. Kyle, you spent 49 on Joey Votto. He was the second most expensive player. Do you feel like you got a good deal there compared to Miggy, or would you rather maybe spend the eight extra bucks on, Va- on Votto to get Miggy? Yeah, you and I were the ones bidding on Votto there, and I let you have him at 49. Um, I really like Votto this year, too, even though, as we talked about at one point in the draft, maybe the RBIs are down on him this year. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was a good value, and I was high on him, too. I just uh, I couldn't go 50 there. I, I, I didn't have the cash to allocate 50 bucks to one player. So, um, All right. First thing I want to talk about, we're going to kind of go through the draft here, chronological order. Um, Jerks and Profar, first throw of the draft. Now, I will say we have 128 players off the board, major league players, and then guys like Corey Seager are still on minor league deals in our league. So there were probably close to 140 players in the draft pool off the board by the time we started. But Profar, first throw by a team that's in rebuilding mode, and he gets him for 5 bucks. What do you guys think of that value? Because I thought it was a, a real savvy move by that that owner, um, Tom, trying to get a player who has real boom potential for a cheap price at a point in the draft where maybe guys aren't as willing to start throwing money around yet. So I want to know what you guys think of that deal there. Yeah, that was one of the things I, I was waiting for leading up to the draft. We knew Tom had the first throw. Um, 
what was he going to do with it? He was a guy that sold away a lot of his cash. So you knew going into the draft he was probably going to be looking for good value, some steals, some guys that have potential to, to be really good, maybe not this year, but in, in the upcoming years. And he goes with Profar right away, and he knows that he can get him for a cheap price because no one's going to want to take that risk right away that's a, a competitor, competitor this year. So I thought it was a good throw by him uh, to take a chance, to get him for real cheap, and may- maybe it really pays off for you down the road. Yeah, that was definitely a nice move. Next guy I've thrown is Miggy. Um, we already talked about it. he went for 57 bucks to one of the owners that's not been as good the last couple of years, um, but I like some of the things that he did in the draft, and I like some of his keepers. Um, so he adds a nice bat in Miggy. The next player, Adrian Beltre, goes for 26 bucks to one of the better owners in the league, and he's a guy that we talked a lot about on the third base podcast that we are kind of down on so I want to know what you guys think of Beltre at 26 this has kind of been a staple for uh, for this owner uh, he, he seems to go out and like he likes his veteran players in the draft I feel like he targets them um, he's not afraid to go and spend some money for those for those proven veterans and 26 bucks for Beltre could end up being a really good value if he gets back to being the player that he was talk about how steady he is he, he he seems to play a lot of games every year he's, he's not a huge injury risk so if Beltre gets back to being the player that he, that he can be I think $26 for him could be a good value once again it's also easier for this owner to do that he has a lot of good players already just like with you Kyle the Votto, Votto thing it's easy to go out and get those players when you already have a bunch of good players on your team um, you can you can sort of Go and take take the risk of maybe spending a little bit more on, on proven proven guys like that, and if they don't pan out, <coughs> you still have the, those solid eight keepers that you started with that, that separate you from the pack a little. Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I feel like this owner every year does some things that I don't quite understand, and it always seems to work out for him. Um, he's obviously consistently a playoff team. I think last year was the first time he didn't make the playoffs, so. Um, you know, I, I always feel like he knows something that I don't know, but I'm going to stick with my guns and say I feel like this is a bad buy. Yeah, I, I kind of agree on that, too. He had some curious buys. Um, his first three players he got were Beltre at 26, um, then he gets Ryan Braun for 38, and Jung Ho Gong for 20. Um, I thought they were all interesting, you know. Shane, you and I were hoping to get Gong for about twelve to fifteen bucks, somewhere in that range. Especially with him maybe missing the first month of the season or so, and he ends up paying twenty bucks for him. Probably going to end up being a good deal when you look at the season-long numbers. Um, but I just thought those three buys, with some of the talent that was in the draft, was kind of curious. I mean, Braun at thirty-eight, 
compared to like a Nelson Cruz or Jason Hayward at 41, I think I'd rather prefer the two $41 players. Yeah, uh, the gong one, well, I threw gong out there, and I was really hoping to get some good. This is one of the guys, I don't always throw guys out that, that I necessarily want on my team, but this was one that I actually was targeting. And I thought I was going to be able to get some good value here with the injury, and, and maybe I, I walk away with a $10, $12 shortstop that I think is pretty good. And he ends up going all the way up to 20 bucks, and it was just a little out of my price range at the time. That one w was surprising to me. I actually didn't think that this guy would be in on him. So the Ryan Braun one didn't really surprise me. Uh, this guy likes going after top proven veteran talent, and his, his strategy hasn't really wavered, and it, and it seems to work out for him. So, so I can't really can't really fault anything that he does. So he seems to it seems to work out for him. So. First three starting pitchers off the board were David Price, Madison Bumgarner, and Zach Greinke. Um, Price and Greinke go for 40 bucks, and Bumgarner goes for 47 um, You know, Shane, when Price went for 40 you were interested but couldn't pull the trigger. And then Bumgarner goes for 47 and you looked at me and said, I feel like these guys are the same. Why is, going, why is one going for 7 bucks more than the other? Um, how do you think that turns out for the owner that spent 47 on Bumgarner? That's Adam. Well, obviously these are both two really good pitchers. I was just shocked that – I guess I'm a little higher on David Price than I am on Bumgarner. I guess that's what it comes down to. I, I like the things that, that Price does just a little better. Uh, but I, I feel like they're two really similar guys, and the fact that they went they were thrown back-to-back, -back and one goes for 40 and one goes for 47, that was just really confusing to me. Um, I can't really see that Bumgarner is, is being that much better than Price. Uh, I feel like they're pretty pretty similar pitchers. So, the end of the year, uh, I, I really think Price is going to have a better year than Bumgarner. I don't know. That's just me. I, I think I would have been more willing to pay up for Price than I would Bumgarner, but Yeah, then, okay, so that's a good point, because after those first three pitchers, Price, Bumgarner, and Greinke, King Fields is the next guy thrown, and Jordan, the twin that missed out on Bumgarner, gets Felix for 42. So Felix, $2 more than Price and Greinke, that to me feels like um, a lot worse of a value than 40 for Price and Greinke. I think I'd prefer... Price and Granky over Felix, and he gets Felix for two bucks more. But out of those top four pitchers, you know, 
Kingsfield is the last one left, so maybe he does have to pay then to get the top guy left. Is that kind of what you guys saw there? Yeah, I think that was – you pretty much nailed it there. There was about four or five really top-tier guys that, that, that were on the board to start the draft, and it was almost like, hey, I didn't get one of the first three, so I better go out and get this one right here, and I'm not going to miss. So that drives the price up a little bit. Because um, you have a couple couple more guys in on it, I feel like they're like, hey, we missed out on the first one or two. I want to really go get this guy, so maybe you have to pay a little bit extra. I, I wouldn't have went more for for Felix than I would for for those other guys. I think he's trending downwards right now. I, I think it's a little concerning for me, but I think that's what happened here. It was just the the timing of when he was thrown out there uh, caused his price to get to get driven up a little bit. Yeah, and then Kyle after that, then Hamels goes for forty bucks. So, Hamels at 40 and Felix at 42. How do you feel about those two? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the two of them are similar in value, in my opinion. Um, but I, I don't know that. I, I mean, I was out on both of them. I wouldn't have paid that much. I think they were mid-30s kind of guys. Um, so, uh, I mean, I would slightly give the edge to Hamels over Felix. Yeah, first, all right, so first three closers off the board, Ken Giles at 16. He was the fourth player thrown after Beltre. Um, and then Kimbrell goes for 19 a couple players later. And then I get my first closer, Cody Allen, for 15 bucks, the cheapest of those three. Um, I kind of had a strategy coming in with my pitching staff. I, I kept Batansis, who obviously we know is dominant and holds as a – category in our league and then I wanted to kind of backfill that with guys who in the reliever role you know low ERA low whip high strikeout guys that could kind of help cushion what I knew I wasn't because I knew I wasn't going to be spending much money on starting pitching so with Giles going for 16 and then Kimbrell going for 19 I was thrilled to get Allen at 15 and before I got Allen at 15 I got Tony Watson for six bucks with my first throw. Um, curious to hear what you guys think about what I was doing at the beginning of the draft with kind of backfilling my pitching staff um, because of the strategy that I normally deploy with starting pitchers. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really notice it as the draft was going, or <coughs> going on. I mean, you're kind of locked into your, your own team, what you want to do. But looking back on it, I mean, I feel like you got some really good deals here. I mean, Watson is one of the best middle relief guys, if not the best as far as holds go. I think he led the league last year. So you get him at a good price at six bucks to to go with Batantis and you really have a stranglehold there on, on the middle relief in the holds category. Say what you want, but it's a category just like everything else. I think someone else said it during the draft. You can win it every week. It's a free win. Um and then I think you one of the one of the good deals you made was Cody Allen. Fifteen bucks. I mean, it seemed like most closers were going for right around there, but is a guy that strikes out a lot of batters and I feel like his value for closing might have been might have been one of the top guys that, that we saw from from closers getting drafted I mean everyone was kind of around that $15 threshold and I feel like you got one of the better ones at the same price as everyone else was paying Well, I had Richards and Cueto as the keepers who 
I'm high on both those guys. And then I end up getting John Lackey at 10 bucks later in the draft, which we kind of joked about before that I would get Lackey at a cheap price because I do every year. And I, I really didn't think I'd get him for 10 but I did again. Um, so I was feeling really good about my pitching staff after adding um, Watson, Allen, and Lackey to Betances, Richards, and Cueto. So I was kind of happy with that. Yeah, it's kind of just the the cause staple now. You get Lackey for right around ten bucks every year. Uh, he's the forgotten guy. That's probably going to be somewhere around a top thirty pitcher, and you get him at a good price. He's not going to wow you. He's not going to do anything crazy, and and he's no going to be nowhere near being the Cy Young this year. But he's going to do everything solid, and you always get him for a good price for whatever reason every year. Yeah, a guy like Lackey compared to probably the first second tier starter off the board which was uh jose quintana for 18 bucks i'll take lackey at 10 over quintana for 18 all day um that's kind of how i feel about it yeah i I don't really see much of a gap there between those guys i feel like lackey's probably even better than quintana and you just for whatever reason no one's usually in on the guy i mean even myself i find it hard to just go all in for lackey and but you get him for 10 bucks, and once again it's another draft steal for you yeah, I wanted to say the other thing I do like about Tony Watson is I'm not a huge uh, Mark Melanson believer. I think he's just kind of one of those closers that gets by on smoke and mirrors. So Watson's the clear handcuff to Melanson. And then if something were to go wrong with Melanson, then I have a top closer on one of the better teams in baseball. So that was another thing I tried to do with my closers this year. Um, the last couple of years, I've been getting maybe three or four closers on bad teams at cheap prices. This year, I paid a little more. I went Allen for 15 and then I get Applebaum later in the draft for 17 A little bit more of an over over um, payment at that point when I think some more people were trying to get into the closers market because they realized that there was probably a run of closers when I got him. Um, getting him for 17 I mean, I, I targeted Papelbon as a guy that I want because I'm high on the Nats this year, so... That was kind of one of my strategies there as well. Kyle, top pitcher you spent money on, um, Michael Waka at 21. How do you feel about that now? Um, well, I mean, going into the draft, I had no idea I'd get him, considering he was supposed to be a keeper. Um, but, you know, I, I like Waka. I think he has a lot of potential. Um, so I'm excited to see what he does this year. And, I mean, I'm fine paying 20 What did you think of Waka at 21, Shane? Uh, I was actually out on Waka this year. Um, I feel like his name is, is a little too high for me. I actually thought the price on Waka was going to be higher than 21. So as far as value, I think you, you actually maximize what the value on how, what you had to spend on him. I don't know. I'm, I'm just a little little concerned that maybe Waka is not as good as maybe he's been built up to be just based on how good he was in the postseason that one year. I feel like his reputation's kind of a little higher than maybe his value is in fantasy for me. Yeah, he's a good $21 pitcher, though. I mean, he's probably in that second tier. Again, he's probably a little better than Quintana, so if Quintana's going for 18, he's probably a little better than Maeda, who also went for 18. And getting Waka at 21 compared to, like, Lance McCullers at 20, um, I definitely feel Waka is more safe. 
Um, he's going to be on a good team. His, his ratios are going to be towards the top of the league as far as ERA and whip. Um, you just always wonder about the strikeout totals for Waka, but I thought it was a pretty good buy. And if you're not going to spend 40 on one of those top guys to get a guy like Waka at 21, is probably pretty decent. So I thought you did a good job there with that, Kyle. Some other interesting buys here. Um, one that really made me kind of shake my head was Francisco Liriano at 30 bucks. Again, this is another classic example of the starting pitching market starting to, you know, whittle away the top guys, and Liriano may have been the best available at that time. And the guy that actually got Liriano was a player who had, who kept no starting pitchers. Um, his first buy was. Mark Melanson, actually Andrew Miller and Mark Melanson, so he goes out and gets two relievers, and then he buys Kendris Morales, even though I'm pretty sure he already had his utility spot filled. Um, and then he ends up getting Liriano for 30 and I just thought that was a heavy price to pay for a guy who's probably going to throw 160 innings. Yeah, we talked about it before the draft that we actually targeted this one, that he was going to be someone, someone was going to overspend on this guy. And it, it unfolded right before our eyes. Uh, I knew we were both out. We were just going to watch the bidding take place, and I couldn't believe how high it got. Uh, I, I couldn't see myself going more than 15, 16 in that range for Liriano, and he drives all the way up to 30. Uh, the guy's just a little too risky for my blood at that price. Uh, I don't know. He seems to break down a lot. No question he has great stuff, and he's, he can be really good at times. But I, I just think 30 bucks is a little too, too much for, in this case. players that I was bummed about coming into the draft I was targeting guys like Daniel Murphy I didn't have a second baseman or a middle infielder or a third baseman Daniel Murphy goes for 22 Castro goes for 15 um, Ben Zobris goes for 24 those were three guys that I was really really targeting and I just couldn't couldn't pull the trigger at that time of the draft to pay the price for those guys I think I was Probably the guy that finished second on all three of those players. Maybe not Murphy. I don't know if I went 21 on him. But I know I went Zobris for 23. And I had the $14 bid for Castro. Uh, my question to you guys, out of Castro, Murphy, and Zobris, who do you think is going to have the best season out of those three? I think I'm going to have to go with Zobris. Uh, I wasn't exactly high on Zobris. I couldn't believe how high he got actually in, in the draft. I thought it was going to be a lot lower than that. But something tells me he's going to get a lot of playing time this year. And I feel like the Cubs need some veteran leadership. I think that he's the kind of guy that can supply that for them. And being in that lineup, I, I feel like he's a guy that can kind of do a little bit of everything for them. Um, he's always been a guy, when he was in Tampa Bay, 
that was kind of relied on to do too much. Uh, I feel like he was like kind of the guy, uh, or not just one of the guys that they really, really counted on. Now he can get back into more of a role where he can just be the fill-in-the-gaps kind of guy, I guess I'd l like to say. And I think that suits him pretty well. So I'll go Zobers. Well, I agree with you, Kyle. I like Castro, but I actually agree with Shane Moore that Zobrist is my favorite one out of the three of them. It's no secret that I love the fact that he's going to score a ton of runs in that lineup. I think the power comes back into play um, for him playing in Chicago now. And you got that second base outfield eligibility, which is really nice and versatile. Um, and as much as I like Daniel Murphy this year, I think... I would have liked him more at Castro's price at 15 rather than 22. But he's an underrated guy, and I think he's going to fit in nicely in that Washington lineup. Um, so I think all three of those end up being good buys. Um, I just couldn't I couldn't pull the trigger on that because before that I had gotten $31. I got Prince Fielder for $31. Um, I was at a point in the draft there where I felt like I needed to add a hitter. And he was the top one available, even though he is the utility um, spot. So I went with Fielder just because I think that when he does play a full season, the average power, RBIs, and even runs for him, um, they're all top-level production. So he was a guy I was excited about because I don't think his production is going to be – I don't think his production is going to be $18 worse than Votto. Um, so – I thought Fielder was a good buy. Yeah, I could tell just by the way you were bidding that you, you were in on Fielder from the get-go there. Um, he's kind of a guy that I think people forgot about. Uh, I'm not sure what he went for last year, but it was definitely more than 31. I forget what it was. It was like 50, I think. Yeah, somewhere in the 50s, I feel like. So his value really dropped, and I feel like some people were really obviously down on him this year. But if he can stay healthy the whole season, um, you could be looking at – a really good value of 30 home runs. I mean, for 30 bucks, I can't really beat it. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think you got a steal there. Uh, a lot of people had spent their money um, in other places, whether it be uh, a top-tier hitter or a top-tier pitcher. And, uh, I think you got a guy who can break into that top tier for a good value. So, I mean, not a ton of risk if you get Fielder for 31 bucks. So, did well. Yeah, compared to a guy like Carlos Santana at 29, the bidding for him got real crazy. Shane, I know you were in on that. I don't know if you were the guy that went 28. I think you might have been. I certainly was above 25. I don't know where I ended at, but I was somewhere in the in the high 20s. Yeah. yeah. Was that another guy you were looking to get a bargain on and it ended up not being the case? Yeah, Santana was a guy I was looking at. I thought I was going to be able to get around 20 bucks, and the price just kept going up, and I was like, at that point, I needed a corner guy, and I felt like he was probably the best available at the time. Um, I was Actually, I think at the time, it was him and Lucas Duda were available, if I believe I'm correct on that. Um, so I, I figured I wanted to get one of those two guys, 
and it just didn't work out for me. It got to the point where I didn't want to pay $30 for the guy. Um, and I went back to some of my some other guys that I was targeting, and I ended up getting for a little better of a price. But You left some money on the table, right? I did. Is he one of the – who's your biggest regret that you didn't spend a little more money on? Well, the one guy that I, I really went in – saying that I wanted to get on my team was Robinson Cano and he just filled some uh, an appropriate gap for my team I really needed to get a second base middle infield somewhere in there um, he ended up going for 42 I believe it was a little out of my price range I feel like if I would have paid up for him I, I think I might have had to go higher than just 43 for him yeah um, I feel like the guy that was in on him was in my division uh, I don't know if I would have been I think Kyle was in on that one too as well at the time, so I think it actually might have got up to closer to 50 if I would have been in, I feel like, because it would have been two division rivals going back and forth, trying to set the tone, saying, hey, I really want this guy. I think the guy that ended up with him would have went way higher. I just didn't want to spend the money at that time on him. I, I thought I might be able to get him somewhere in the 30s. just didn't work out for me, and uh, it goes back to me. I felt like I got pushed around a little bit in the draft. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You know, I, I think Cano and Tulowitzki are similar players at this stage in their career they both play middle in infield positions Tula went for 35 I'd much rather have Tula for 35 than Cano for 42 um, I know you and Shane are out on Tula Kyle I wonder who you like better since you were in on the Cano bidding um, I want to know first what you think of Cano at 42 and then I guess what you think of Cano at 42 compared to Tula at 35 yeah I was actually in on both I believe I was the $34 bid on Tulowitzki. Um, and when I was bidding, I had flashbacks of owning Tulowitzki and him getting hurt, and that's when I stopped. Um, I just I didn't want to spend that much on a guy that, you know, seems not to play that much. And so I got out on him, and, um, you know, going into the draft, there were, there were two bats I really wanted on my team. At least wanted to get one of them, and one was Cano and one was Votto. So, um, you know, Cano came up next, and I was thinking I'd go for it. I had my limit at 41, and I actually believe I was that $41 bid on him. Um, I tend to try and stick to my numbers, um, so I did a little bit of prep for that. And so when I missed out on him, the next player I saw with the drawing board would be Votto, and I, I felt like I had to get him. Um, as far as the difference between Cano and uh, Tulowitzki, I, I think personally Cano's the safer bet, so he's the guy I would have liked to have. All right, Kyle, what'd you think of your brother getting uh, Joe Mauer for four bucks? <laughs> um, <coughs> my brother always seems to get deep old guys. I was gonna say you can say that Frank always has the oldest team in the league. He does, but somehow. Yeah, I'd like to do some research on that. It would be fun to look back. I'm pretty certain that Frank has had the oldest roster in the league just about every year for the past five years or so. Um, he always just seems to go after those veterans. He's always 
He was the guy that was still in on Jeter when he was coming down the wire. He was still in on Ryan Howard, I think, when he was a few years ago when he was mm-hmm. obviously starting to slow down. Um, he just loved loved those veteran guys, and he, he tries to get them at a sneaky low price. So, I mean, four dollars. I don't really see much left with Maurer as far as fantasy, but it's a bid that's really not going to hurt you. I did the same thing last year with A-Rod. I mean, I got him for 6 bucks, And it's a bid that, hey, if he still has something left in the tank, and maybe he can be a, a guy that gives you that, that value. Maybe he turns into a double-digit value player. So, I don't know. It's a safe buy for me. Yeah, the $4 for Maurer reminds me a lot of my $2 um, bid. And I got Nick Marquezas for two dollars, kind of similar players, um, and it's one that I left the draft saying, "Oh, I wish I hadn't gotten filled up a roster spot with Marquezas." But at two dollars for a guy that's going to play every day and hit in the top part of the lineup, um, I, I guess I can't really complain about that. And I guess Maurer's kind of the same case as Marquezas. The thing that hurts about Maurer more than Marquezas is that he's first baseman compared to much worse outfielder. Yeah, I feel like I'd be more willing to to pay for that if the guy had a little bit more flexibility. I mean, you, for whatever Maurer has left in the tank, I don't think the power is one of those things. So if you're going to be slotting him in there, your first base or your corner spot, I think you're going to be a little disappointed on what the power numbers are going to provide. Um, I, I don't see Maurer being able to even get to double digits in home runs, I don't think. So he might be a guy that, hey, you, you see if he breaks out. If he doesn't, he's easy to cut. And I think you need a couple of those guys on your team. Uh, we've talked about that, having that flexibility, not getting too attached and being able to, hey, you know what? If, you, if it doesn't work out, I don't have to get attached to this guy, and I can let him go, cut him loose, and, and go in a different direction. Yeah, it's one thing that, Kyle, you know, you talked about how you don't draft very well in your own mind. Um, but one thing I think that you do very well in the draft is you don't get caught up in the draft. You know, it's it's an exciting day for us because it's the first day of our fantasy baseball season, really. And everybody wants to be the guy that has the perfect draft. And I think you take a realistic approach to it in the sense that it is a marathon and the season doesn't end at draft day. And you maybe look to add five or six players that you're really high on and you spend for them, knowing that the rest of your roster is going to be fluid throughout the season. Um and, you know, that's where you kind of fill in your $5 and less players. And you know that their time on your team is rather short. So I think that's something that you do very well um, in the draft compared to some other owners. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely a strategy that I tend to employ, whether I need to or not. Um, you know, I, I do think I take that realistic approach that, you know, when the playoffs come around, odds are a lot of these guys aren't going to be on my roster, and I need to be able to comfortably, you know, fill in those spots with better players when it's time to trade. Um, I'm always stocking up on assets so that I can make moves at the deadline, and um, you know, it's going to be a lot easier for me to move, you know, Rizzo and drop him than um, it would have been if I would have went out and bought a guy like. Well, the next person I was going to bring up was Rich Hill because two, three players after Maurer, you get Rich Hill for six bucks. And I was going to ask you, is he a player that you're looking to hit on 
or is he a player that you're looking to just kind of be one of your roster fillers because he has been um, a real big sleeper candidate on a lot of fantasy outlets this year. You know, he had a real nice end of the season. He did some things that um, not a lot of other pitchers did last season. He had one of the better pitching performances towards the end. He threw a real great shutout um, with Boston. So I was interested to see if you were buying into the Hill being a sleeper or if you were just buying into a cheap starting pitcher at that point in the draft. Stein, couple picks after Rich Hill. I think we're going to maybe argue about this a little bit, but I think this is where desperation started to kick in for you. You get Castellanos at 25 and Corbin at 19, and this was a point in the draft where you had more money than everybody else, so you were willing to get two players that you like at prices that you may not love. Um, what, what were you thinking there? Were you happy with those? Because I know there were two players you wanted, but what about the price you got them for? Yeah, it was kind of just like just about every person that I drafted. I, I felt like I had paid more than I wanted to. I mean, it's easy to say that. Uh, I mean, you go in realizing you're probably going to have to pay. In our setup, you're going to have to pay a little more than you're comfortable with usually to get the guys you want um, just because there's so many guys off the board. But... I targeted Castellanos at the beginning of the draft. I thought I was going to be able to get him for a, for a good value as a guy that he came up as a, as a top prospect, hasn't really done much to date. He's been okay. Uh, but I felt like he's still young and he's still growing, and I thought that, hey, maybe this is the breakout year and I'll get him at a good price and maybe even at a cheaper value price. It didn't really work out that way. Uh, Billy ends up trying to push me around, and, and at that point, though, I really needed a third baseman, really, and he was he was just about the best guy available. So... I had to get him. Uh, Corbin was a guy, another guy. I really wanted Corbin. Um, I, I think that this guy could be really good. Um, I end up having to pay 19. I, I wasn't too upset about the 19 for Corbin. I think that's actually going to be a good value. Um, maybe not tremendous value, but I, I think Corbin's going to end up being worth it in the long run. Um, okay, so after you, after you beat Billy for Castellanos for 25. Um, couple throws later I throw out David Wright because I was still one of the players that needed a third baseman I had no interest in David Wright and I thought at that point I could get Billy to spend some money on a third baseman I didn't want so not only would I clear some money off the table but I would also get rid of another person that would be bidding against me for third baseman so Wright goes for 19 to Billy just kind of as I thought it would happen um, what do you guys think of that um, for Billy. Well, I feel like both of you have to say that you're really down on this pick because I know we talked about it in the third baseman pod. How you got? I asked you what what we were going to see from Wright this year, and you both said uh, nothing. So, um, I was I was really surprised that Wright went for nineteen dollars. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I think this could be one of the worst buys of the draft. Uh, I I just don't see it. I, and I'm a big David Wright fan. Uh, 
Uh, David Wright's been one of my favorite players to watch since he's been in the league. I remember going to watch him in the home run derby in Pittsburgh and kind of just, I was like, wow, I really like this guy. Um, but I, I just find it hard to believe that the amount of playing time and just with the injury concern that, that he's going to be worth it at the $19 price tag. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm impressed <coughs> reasoning that someone would pay money for David Wright. I mean, for David Wright. Um, I, I don't know how he went for $19. Um, I would have been in at 4 So, um, yeah, I, I would agree with Shane. Potentially the worst buy uh, of the draft. It, all right, so I can't, I can't sit here and beat my chest and say, I knew he was going to spend 19 for David Wright. I just knew that out of the third baseman left, Philly would be likely to buy Wright seeing the price he went for Castellanos. So, like I said, it would clear some money off the table and allow one less person to get in a bidding war with me for a third baseman when it came time for me to get one that I wanted. Um, so it worked out, and we'll get to my third base situation in a little bit. After I talk about the two um, New York first basemen, they go within two picks of each other. Uh, Mark Teixeira goes for 26 to Andy, the owner that you know we talked about earlier. He loves to have his veteran players. And then Adam spends 35 on Lucas Duda. I think this was a point in the draft where these were probably the last two power guys left, along with Pedro Alvarez, who goes for... 26 bucks, a couple picks after Duda at 35. So those three guys go for some of the higher prices in the middle of the draft, and that was, I think, a product of um, power being at a premium at that point in the draft. What did you guys think of those picks? Yeah. Duda was especially surprising for me, going all the way up to 35. Um, as I was looking at the situation, I, I needed to fill in my I still had a corner spot and a utility spot, and I felt like Duda would have been a good fit for me there. And I really thought that he was going to be a guard that went in the 20s, and I thought I could get him, but the price, it was just all about the timing in the draft, and he, he was like the best power bat available, and I think that's really what drove his price tag up. Not that, I think Duda's a fine fantasy value, but at $35, it was just hard for me to stay in at that point. I mean, I think I was in at 25 if I remember right, I, I put a bit in somewhere around there. Yeah, I, I think you hit it, uh, Cobb, that um, I think this hit the point where people felt like they needed to bolster the home roster. Um, you know, they had to pay for it. So, um, not, again, not terrible value for all those. I mean, I wouldn't have paid it quite as much, but uh, home runs were at a premium at that point. You've got to play if you want to fill that category. Yeah, um, I just want to say that I got killed last year for trading Lucas Duda and Billy Burns for Brian Dozier, and Duda and Burns went for a total $50 between the two of them in the draft, so maybe it wasn't that bad of a trade after all. Um, I know everything's relative, but I just I thought that was a little funny that those were two of the higher-priced players at their position on draft day a year later. Yeah, and two guys that had pretty decent contracts. Uh, that mm -hmm. were that were due to especially was a keepable player I thought yep. um, you can make an argument there uh, he was on a team that had a bunch of good keepers but 
he, he was definitely a guy that had some trade value maybe to be a keeper on someone's team uh, with the power that he supplies. I think, what was he, a $5 player? Yeah. yeah, he was. So, I mean, he was a $5 keeper value, and he ends up going for 35 So maybe that trade wasn't as bad as, as we thought. I mean, I still think you, you won in the, in the end, but maybe it wasn't as bad. <laughs> All right, I want to talk about catchers next because after um, Alvarez and those guys went – um, we see a little bit of a run on catchers. Sal Perez goes for ten bucks to Caleb. Um, Kyle, you get Matt Weavers for eleven. Right after that, Vote goes for eleven, and then Shane, you got Real Muto a couple picks later for eleven. And this was a time in the draft when I was starting to get really excited because there was one catcher that I targeted coming into the draft that I I kind of I wanted to get him, but I didn't think I was going to be able to get him for a price that I was happy for. So, in that sense, I didn't think I was actually going to end up with the catcher that I wanted. And then these four guys go um, for 10 bucks and more, and it kind of left four teams left with catcher openings, and um, I started to think that I would get the catcher I wanted at a good value. So, I'm curious to see what you guys thought while this catcher run was going off the board here. Well, I was really excited when... Weeders, Vote, uh, and Sally Perez went off the board right around the $10 mark because um, I really wanted Real Muto. And I didn't think I was going to have to pay up for him. So I was hoping that he kind of snuck to later in the draft. And sure enough, about five picks later, he gets thrown out there. And I wasn't really happy about this pick. Um, although I really wanted him, I feel like I just kind of trapped myself. And got stuck in the theory of, hey, I like really like this guy, I should pay up for him, when there was probably still some catchers that were a similar value out there that you could probably get a little cheaper later. But it also fell into the fact that I had so much money left that I was like, you know what, if I really like the guy, I'll spend a little bit extra on him. And you know what, I, it was kind of just me more kicking myself for not spending money earlier. Kyle, you were in the middle of that catcher run. How were you feeling as it was going on? Yeah, I think after Raul my next throw, I threw out Blake Swihart because I thought there was one other owner I was concerned about spending on catcher, and I wanted him to go after Swihart, or maybe one of the other guys go after Swihart. He gets him for three bucks, which is a great value. Um, it was one that I considered jumping in on at four bucks there for him, but I, I stayed to my plan, 
and the catcher I ended up getting was Yasmani Grandal for nine bucks. I got him for a little more than I thought I would at that point in the draft because the uh, um, the guy that got Sally Perez killed, he bid me up to nine bucks because he said he liked Grandal a lot and he just felt like someone needed to pay for him if he liked him a lot. Ended up killed, strategy ended up working, but I get the catcher that I targeted at the beginning of the draft for what I think is a reasonable price compared to what the other catchers went for. So that was the pick that I think I was most excited about out of all of my picks. Yeah, I, I really like Rondo. I mean, just the, the power potential that you have there. It was just interesting for me because we have a lot of guys in this league that kind of buy into the strategy of, I'm just going to get a, a catcher for a dollar or two at the end of the draft. Um, and I don't really see anything wrong with that strategy. It seems like we have a bunch of guys that do that. But it was, it was really interesting to see that we had maybe five or six guys that went for the $10 mark. Uh, I know we talked about that in our catcher pod. Is Are there any of these guys that you're willing to spend double digits on? And I don't think we were really high on the fact of doing that. But we saw, what was it, four or five guys go for double digits at least. So um, that, that was interesting for me to see during the draft. Kyle, what would you think about me getting Grundahl for 9 bucks? Um, I ended up getting Brett Lowry as my third baseman for 16 bucks right before Grandal. Um, he's a guy I kind of busted on you, Shane, for going for 20 bucks last year. But when I looked at him a little closer in my draft prep, his numbers weren't um, as bad as I thought they were last year. So I was excited to get Brett Lowry at 16 at a time in the draft where um, I felt like I really needed to add someone with a little bit of power and a little bit of speed at that spot because we were getting to a point where there were really no good third baseman left. So um, I was happy to get Lowry there despite all the comments I made to you last year about Lowry. Yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about Lowry last year. Uh, it was, we spent just about the whole season on my squad. I think I dropped him near the end of the year. Um, he's a really boomer bust kind of guy. Um, he's the kind of guy that if with one swing, you need him to hit a ball 400 feet. He, he can probably do it, and but most of the time, you're probably going to get a strikeout. So, um, can you live with a live with a lot of the over four, three strikeout days um, when you get that one day where he's going to hit hit a home run, maybe two home runs in the same game? Uh, he's just that kind of player. Um, but for me, the interesting thing is, are you going to be playing this guy at third base? Is that is that the plan here? I mean, I know the the third base pool got a little weak there at the end. For me, he's the kind of guy that has has good value if you're you slot him in that middle infield spot. I just don't know if the third base value is, is there for Lowry. Yeah, he's probably going to be my third baseman unless Brandon Drury somehow comes up and um, makes the big team for the Diamondbacks and ends up hitting. But he's a guy that's very similar to Lowry. I think he has third, second eligibility. So right now, Lowry is going to be my third baseman. I'm just going to have to live with that production, I think. Shane, you get Jericho later in the draft for 11 bucks. Um, what were you thinking about there? Well, I know we were talking about it, uh, when to throw this guy out. Uh, I figured I was going to be bidding against you. 
Um, this is kind of going back to what Kyle said about how we have the twins in the draft and just kind of, hey, I'm not going to let this guy beat me. And I, I knew you had $11 left. I was hoping to get you to spend some money a couple times through. I know we went at least two times through that we didn't throw him after we talked about it. And I was hoping for you to maybe spend a little bit of cash and, and knock your max bid down a little bit. But you end up having an $11 max bid. So Jerko gets thrown out there, and I end up having to go the whole way to 11 to get him. But I just thought there was uh, some good value there to be had with Jerko. The shortstop eligibility for me, I needed one. And here's a guy that, that could hit 20, 25 home runs if he gets the right playing time. It's all about playing time for this guy. And I just felt like, you know what, I'll take the risk on him. If he gets the playing time, it works out. If not, he's a guy I can cut loose and, and not really feel any regrets about it. And you know what, I'll, I'll stream shortstop the rest of the way. No big deal. Kyle, after Jerko, one of the picks that I really liked for you was um, getting Carson Smith at 2 bucks. I think that's a nice buy. He's got strikeout potential. He's one of the better setup men in the league um, on what I think will be a good Boston team. And there's always that possibility that Kimbrell breaks. Um, how do you feel about getting Carson Smith for two bucks? Yeah, I love it. Um, I think towards the end of the draft, uh, I saw that I was going to need to um, kind of bolster my pitching staff to my bullpen, kind of like you were talking about, like you did early. And um, because not a lot of people had a ton of money left, I was able to get a guy like that very cheap. So uh, pretty excited to have him on the squad. All right, nothing, nothing really crazy happened at the end of the draft that I want to talk about. So that pretty much wraps up my um, my chronological breakdown of the draft. Shane, anything that you wanted to talk about here? Yeah, I mean, it seems like the strategy, I don't know if it's a strategy or just like the trend that has been in the last few years is we always have a few guys at the end of the draft that, that have saved up a little bit of money and they're looking for those dollar players that are young, maybe they're still in the minors, maybe they're about to come up. And it really really didn't happen that much, I felt like, this year as it did in years past. Um, I know last year we had a guy get, pick up Carlos Rodon, uh, pick up Rysel Iglesias, um, did it with three or four guys at the end of the draft. Um, it was just interesting to see which guys were those guys this year. And uh, we had a guy like Max Kepler go, uh, Dansby Swanson ends up going, um, but other than that, there, I'm trying to think who else we had. I got Jose De Leon. Jose De Leon was another one. But it really it wasn't too many this year. I um, felt like that was toned down a little bit. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, and I don't know if it was just the fact that I feel like a lot of people at this stage of the game um, feel like they can contend and there's not as many. There's not a clear Rodon like there was last year. Someone that's going to be... Um, one of those guys that, that was drafted the year before that you can get for a dollar. Um, I know in years before, Stroman was a dollar player at the end of the draft. So I took a chance on De Leon. I don't know if it's going to pay off, um, but he is a top top prospect talent, so that's kind of why I went there with that. And Kyle, anything in the draft that um, you wanted to talk about here? Yeah, there were two guys that I wanted to talk about. Um, a little more specific to my draft. Um, one I felt like I got tremendous value on was uh, Brett Gardner for 12 bucks. 
we had a break right after that, and I told you I thought that was great value. Um, that was that was surprising to me. Goes back to me. I couldn't if I could have bid on him, I would have. But I already had my outfield filled. I didn't really have room for Gardner on my squad, um, especially for that price. So, I mean, I thought twelve dollars for Gardner w was tremendous value. What he's going to do for you, filling out a bunch of categories. Yeah, I like the Gardner pick as well. Um, reason why I wasn't in on him was the second half was really poor. And I'm not sure that the power that he put up last year is sustainable, but um, at 12 bucks, it's definitely a good speculative bid. And I think the reason other people weren't in on him is because I don't think they realized how good of a year he did have last year. And they still think that he's just a slap hitter that's going to maybe steal 20 bags only. So I thought that was a, a good opportunity that you took in the middle of the draft to get some value on a nice player. Yeah, Andy gets Velazquez back on his team. He had him last year. He's one of his minor league guys. Um, thought it was a good buy as well. He was a guy I was interested in, but when it got towards the end of my draft there, I wanted pitchers that I knew were going to be in the rotation, and I get a guy like John Meese instead and Taylor Youngman um, at $1 and $2 compared to 8 for Velazquez. I'm just worried that, A, the Phillies are going to put him on an innings limit, and B, maybe they see no need to rush him um, up on the big club and maybe he doesn't even start the team in Philly. So that was my concern about Velasquez and why I didn't go in on that bidding. Yeah, Velasquez was, uh, I think, could be tremendous value if uh, he's up all year and certainly could be value down, down the stretch, uh, not down the stretch, but as far as down the line, as far as next year, maybe a couple of years down the line. But... Once I saw that you and you and Andy were in on him, I figured that, that something was up here. I, I just had another couple players in mind that I wanted to go after, so that, that's what kept me from the Velasquez bidding. Um, one guy you spoke about there, Todd, but I think that could be a really good buy for you. I owned him last year a lot, uh, was Taylor Youngman. Um, I think this guy's pretty good, and you get him for $2. Um, I, th I thought that was one of the better buys of the draft. Uh, I, I, I know we, we spent some time talking about him last year, how good was was this guy for real? Because he had a really good stretch last year, about six or seven starts in a row that were really tremendous. He, he died off down the stretch in September. But I, I think this is a guy that could be a certainly above-average pitcher for for the entire season this year, and I think $2 was, was just great value there. Yeah, he was a guy I was targeting, and, and it's kind of my um, bottom-of-the-barrel bottom pitching strategy that I normally employ. Um, and I, I didn't think I'd get him as good a price at 2 bucks, but I ended up getting him, and I'm kind of happy about it. A little concerned about how bad Milwaukee's going to be. Um, so I don't think there's a ton of win potential. I may have to kind of pick and choose when I use him. But he kind of fits into what I'm looking to do as a guy that I think is going to reliably take the ball and you know make, make the necessary starts on my team and help me in my plan as far as like streaming guys streaming one or two guys along with 
four or five that kind of stay on my team throughout the year. So I was happy to get Youngman at two bucks. Um, who do you, who did the best job? Do you guys think on draft day? What teams are you looking at um, after draft day? You're kind of excited about what they did. Well, it's easy to say you're excited about Kyle and Andy's team because I, I felt like they had, and Billy's, because they had probably the best keepers out of the league. Um, so it's easy to be excited about those teams when they start with eight players that are that are all top guys. Um, I kind of like what O'Brien did, to be honest with you. Uh, he had a lot, of, a lot <coughs> of money to spend, and he went out and spent it. Uh, he wasn't shy about it. He, he went out and spent some big bucks on some guys, and felt like he had to because he, he probably did have to. He, he had arguably the worst keepers in the league, but he, he had the most money to spend, and I felt like some of the pickups that he made were were, were good moves. He gets two holes for $33. Um, I think he got Hayward for 41 was it? Um, Nelson Cruz for 41 uh, So he, he went out and spent some money and uh, made some big moves and might, might make his team a little bit more competitive than we initially thought. That's exactly the guy I was going to talk about, too. Um, I thought he did a good job with his draft. Um, the other guys I liked that he got, he got Juris Familia for 19, Jake McGee for 9, David Hernandez for 3, Sean Tolleson for 12, and Clifford for 5. Five potential closures there. And if you have five closures in our league, that's, that's a huge um, asset, not only for saves, obviously, but also for trading chips when um, some guys are looking to get closures. Um, at the trade deadline, you know, he has guys like Springer at ATEP and Weednet Odor, Chris Bryant. So I thought he did a nice job. And he gets Colin McHugh also for 13 bucks, which I thought was a real underrated pitching grab. Um, so I agree with you, Kyle. I, I, I had targeted Adam that I wanted to talk about, but I thought he actually did a nice job with his draft this year. Um, we had a rookie in the draft this year. Sure. He, like you, Shane, had the most money for a majority of the draft. Um, how do you guys think he did in his first experience um, at the draft table and what can be, I think, an overwhelming experience for your first time doing it? Yeah, I felt like, I feel like Sure's going to fit in nicely in the league. I think he is a guy that's going to do a really nice job. I, I felt like he kind of got pushed around a little bit just like I did. Um, feel like you we, we had the most money to spend throughout the majority of the draft and I don't know that that's a position that you necessarily want to be in um, I feel like it's a lot easier to spend your money early and then try to find value late than it is you're sitting around there with more money than everyone else and saying hey I got value on this guy but I still have more money to spend 
and you could have used it el elsewhere. Um, that being said, I, I think that that first year that you get into the auction, especially in a league like this where there's so many players off the board, it's not being in there before, it's tough to gauge the the price value of what players are going to go for, what you expect them to go for, and what they're actually going to go for. So, I mean, I, I think Sure's going to end up doing a nice job in the league. I, I just think he, he might have got pushed around a little bit more than than he would have wanted to in a, in a normal draft. I like Sure's team. I mean, he added uh, Hector Rondon and Araldus Chapman, Roberto Osuna, Verlander. He gets Jaime Garcia at six bucks. I thought it was a nice buy. Um, he's the guy that got Zobris. He ends up pay overpaying for a guy like Ender Inciarte at 24 at a time where, again, he was probably the best outfielder available, and he fills some needs on Scherz's team. But I thought he did a decent job, and he definitely left himself with a chance to compete um, after draft day. Kyle, you agree with that? One thing that uh, I actually want to talk about before we wrap up here, um, a couple things actually. First I'll start with, what do you guys think of my $1 Greg Bird buy? Because I actually thought that was uh, one of the better moves I made in the draft, uh, picking up a potential keeper for, for next year for $1. Buck. Um, I liked it. I kind of did something similar, not necessarily a $1, but I grabbed a player that I can stash for my DL right away in Homer Bailey. And just kind of see what happens. Um, so yeah, I liked Bird because I, you know, Teixeira I think is on the last year of his deal, and Bird should slot in nicely as a first baseman there. So if you're willing to kind of eat up that one DL spot on your team throughout the year, I liked Bird at a dollar. Next thing, I know we talked about it a little bit today, Kyle. The one move, uh, this isn't necessarily in the draft, but Freddie Freeman gets extended in our league. He's a $15 player. He gets extended to a full eight years with a plus 10 price tag. Um, is this going to go down as one of the worst moves in our league's history? Uh, this is a guy that's going to be owed $45 in three years. Um, I just can't imagine keeping a Freddie Freeman for $45. No, not, I mean, that's that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out for Caleb. Um, I think it's I think I have it right that he got extended to the full eight at a $10 increase. So by the end of his term, like you said, he'll be $45. Bucks. Um, like you said to me in text today, it just eliminates his trade value for the next couple of years. 
Um, maybe when he's an expiring contract at 45, someone would buy him. Um, but Freeman's not really the type of player that I think about as a $45 player. So I think that will go down as one of the one of the worst extensions that we've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping he didn't realize it was $10 a year. guessing that there he didn't realize that I, I don't know uh, I was we were talking about it before keepers were due if uh, he was going to extend him uh, I thought the $25 would be a little risky even and it was just shocking to see maybe he didn't realize that that's what it was going to be but yeah that was that was definitely uh, something I, w- I was shocked to see if, if he really knew what was going on and is willing to pay the $45 for Freeman is little just just shocking how'd you guys feel about the minor draft um i think it went pretty similar to a lot of minor drafts i felt like for my own sake i felt like i got players in late rounds that i felt like could have been first rounders um i ended up getting a guy like phil bickford who i was pretty excited about uh, I believe I got him in the, the third round. Um, I thought he was a first round, early second round talent. Um, I, just, I just feel like there's some guys that value the, the minor league draft and there's some guys that don't. And if you're vigilant and, and you put in your work beforehand, you, you can get some, some good value on guys. My, my favorite move was getting into the top 25 in the minor draft. I gave up $14 draft cash to get picks 8 and 24 in the minor draft because as we had talked about before the draft with both you guys I, I loved the the minor leaguers that were now available basically the 2015 draft I thought was full of really really nice prospects um, and I'm able to get two of them that I don't think I would have been able to get without moving into that top 25 so I, I got Trent Clark at, from Milwaukee and Cabrian Hayes from Pittsburgh there in the top 25, so I was pretty excited about that. Um, but yeah, I agree with you, Shane. I had Matt Chapman and Phil Bickford as first-round guys, and you got them uh, late third round, so that that was a nice job by you. There were four, four pitchers taken in the first round. Anderson Espinoza, Francis Martes, um, Brady Aiken, and Cody Reed. Out of 16 picks, only four pitchers. It just goes along with fantasy value that hitters definitely have more value than pitchers. I just thought it was interesting that Adam, who we've talked about, he had a great major league draft. He had picks four, five, and nine. And at four and five, he takes Espinoza and Martes. Now, I like Espinoza. And Martes also has, obviously, a high ceiling. 
Um, but he leaves guys on the table like Trent Clark, Victor Robles, um, Cody Bellinger, Kyle Tucker, Alex Bregman, Ian Happ, all guys that I would have rather had over Marquez. Um, so I thought that at picks four, five, and nine, he could have done better, but who's to say that any of these guys will work out? Yeah, I find it tough in the first round to, to take a pitcher, um, especially with one of the top picks. I'm always looking for the, the best hitting prospects available, especially in, in those spots. I'm, I'm a guy that's had those picks in the past where I've stockpiled high first-round draft picks. Um, I just find it hard to go after a pitcher because they're just so – you just never know what's going to happen with them. Uh, I feel like the, the offense – not that you know what's going to happen with any of these guys, but – I feel like the offensive players are just a little more safe, and if I'm going to pick there, I, I want a little bit better of a chance of a guy turning into a, a quality big league player. Um, one thing for me, I, I will say my first round pick, uh, I went with Bellinger. It was between him and Bregman, and I, I kind of regretted it after I made the pick, but I, I feel like it was a toss-up between those two. So, I probably would have went with Ian Happ there if I was you. Um, I'm a big Happ believer. Um He's a guy I considered at eight along with Trent Clark, but one of my friends was really into prospecting. He had, you know, really hyped up Clark for me, so that's why I went with him. But Hap's an interesting guy because he's a college bat coming from Cincinnati. I feel like he has the ability to move quickly through the Cubs system, even with their crowded outfield. Um, he did play a little bit of second base in college too, so he's a guy that I think could have some major value maybe next year when you have the ability to move them up and down throughout the minors in the major roster. So, But there's nothing wrong with Bellinger. He should be the heir apparent to Adrian Gonzalez at first base. And, you know, the Dodgers prospects always get hyped, so maybe you have some a nice trade chip there too. Yeah, I think the, the long thing in this is, I think Kyle said it best, there's, there's a couple different ways you can look at this. You, you're all, we're obviously all trying to find guys that are going to be stars, but you got to look at these guys as assets for what they are. I mean, a lot of these guys probably aren't going to end up on our squads. I mean, you're a guy that's kind of nailed the minor league draft ever since you came into the league, um, and not a lot of those guys are on your team anymore. Um, these are guys that you're hoping you get some big names, and you're able to turn them into proven players when it's time to win at the end of the year. Um, so some guys you got, you want to keep on your team, obviously. I mean, it's always nice having those cheap keepers if you can for two bucks, but it's also nice if you can turn a guy that you haven't seen in the major leagues yet into a top tier starter at the deadline that can help you compete and maybe win a title at the end. Yeah. So unless you guys have anything to add that about wraps up our, um, Blue Mountain Champion Fantasy Baseball League draft recap. Um, it's something I think we'll come back to throughout the year and let you know how the season's going. I know that, you know, we're all excited about our teams. We all think we did the best we could, and it's just the beginning of, like I said, a, a marathon. So as long as you guys don't have anything to add, we can wrap up here. I'm good. I'm excited for the season to start. I'm good too. Ready to win another championship. <laughs> All right, so find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Twitter, Red Triangle 23. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Um, let us know if there's anything that you want us to talk about here as we get into the season. I'm not sure if we'll do a pitcher preview or not. Um, it's something we can toss around. 
But, um, yeah, we're going to keep these things going throughout the season, talking about um, who's doing well and who's struggling and who are the better values now on draft day as it comes through here. So, um, all right, so signing off for Red Triangle Sports, I am Matt Kozlowski for Shane Stein and Kyle Stramer.